thanks for um you know hosting me uh Venky. um so you know in terms of me you know i'm an entrepreneur um i uh i've been around you know trading and investing in fintech my entire professional life um trading has been something which has been very close to me um i'm currently working on uh scaling up a product called trading leagues um which is essentially a you know dream 11 for stocks that's probably the easiest way to think about trading leagues okay. um uh, prior to trading leagues, um, I co-founded, um, Upstocks, which is a stock brokerage in India. Um, and so, um, yeah, you know, we were discussing earlier in terms of where I've lived. Um, I've had the privilege of, uh, living in India for 10 years, um, while building up Upstocks. Um, and I'm currently based in the U S, um, in Austin, Texas, you know? Okay. Yeah, where did you live in India? In India, I was in Mumbai. Um, Mumbai. I lived nice. um, largely in Mumbai. I was in mm -hmm. Mumbai for almost nine years. Um, I also had very brief stints in Noida um, and in Delhi as well. Um, okay. So, um, but growing up, you know, we would visit mm -hmm. India all the time. You know, obviously because okay. uh, we're of Indian descent. So my parents would make sure they took me and my brother to India mm -hmm. uh, okay. every two, three years. And I got very comfortable with the country um, and I miss it every day, you know, even, oh, even when I'm here. Nice. Yeah. Do, do you speak Hindi? I can, you don't want to hear me speak Hindi. I think it's going to okay. probably turn your, turn your viewers off, Go but ahead. I can, but I can, I can understand, you know, and I can hold okay. a conversation. I think, nice. It's one of those things where when I'm in India, it just comes back, you know, and I can just start speaking it. Um, at least in my head, it's semi-fluent. In uh -huh. their heads, it's probably not fluent at all. But as long as, you know, the, the, the communication gets across and they understand what I'm trying to say, across. you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice, nice. So uh, a little bit into, you know, your previous years, you know, but just before this, uh, before starting up stocks, were you, where were you? The, you just, uh, you know, finished your education and then directly jumped into uh, uh, entrepreneurship or you worked in a corporate job and then got into, uh, you know, decided to jump into entrepreneurship. What was it? Yeah. So, you know, the term entrepreneurship, I think it's, it's funny, right? Cause nowadays everyone wants to become an entrepreneur. Um, they teach courses in entrepreneurship and, um, it seems like the coolest thing to do is to become an entrepreneur. But in my case, I was like an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't know it at the time, but I was essentially an entrepreneur. So I graduated from college. Um, with the intent of basically becoming a trader full-time because even when I was in college, I was researching trading and I was very sure that trading was something that I could see myself doing. Um, so even while I was in college, I started building my first trading models. And then when I graduated, I essentially 
moved in with my parents because I had no money. And then, um, you know, and, and they accepted me <laughs> and I started trading. Um, and then within a couple of months, I realized that if I incorporated a company as a partnership, then I would save on taxes. Um, okay. And so I incorporated a company, um, started trading under the company name. Okay. And basically became a, I, I became an entrepreneur because I wasn't necessarily trading on my own anymore. I was trading under the company name. Um, right. And trading basically was my full-time job, right? So I was okay. a full-time trader for almost two years. Um, and then, you know, my brother joined me. Um, and then he and I and my best friend from college, the three of us moved to India to set up a stock brokerage. And that's essentially how Upstock started, you know? So long story short, um, I've never worked a corporate job in my life. Um, okay. Again, not something that I deliberately was looking for. It's not like I said, hey, I don't want to work somewhere. It's more that um, it just kind of happened, you know? And then mm -hmm. that, you know, the trading stuff turned into Upstocks, which turned into spending 10 years in India. Okay, nice. So uh, just, uh, you know, I'll tell you uh, how, you know, my first experience with trading, you know, I was, I think uh, I had passed my uh, 12th standard and then uh, was going into the college, but then had no clear path. Uh, somehow, you know, this whole uh, game of uh, trading, intraday trading mostly, not, not uh, uh, the investment, you know, the... Uh, long-term investments and stuff like that. But the whole point of uh, the whole idea of uh, owning a piece of a company on a daily basis and looking at, uh, you know, which stock is going to go up or probably go down. So I got into a, a you know, a trading a course and then, you know, tried a little bit then, but then, you know, I could not really get hold of it. Right. You know, it was interesting. It was exciting. It was, you know, because, but, but I got into it just to make money. What, what got you into trading? You know, what is that aspect of trading uh, that, you know, it's, it's like you probably get into a flow state, right? Otherwise somebody like, you know, so they cannot do, do it for really long unless they get to the flow state, in, especially in anything for that matter. What, what is that thing for you? Yeah, so definitely it was to make money, right? I think trading is one of those things where if someone tells you they're they're trading and they're not looking to make money, they're they're mm -hmm. lying to you. Um, okay. So it was definitely to make money and not just make money, but make a lot of money, right? And and okay. the ability to take a small amount of money and mm -hmm. potentially make a lot of money out of it. I think that is the allure of trading. Um, at the same time though, you have to, like you said, be able to get into that flow state. And that only really happens when you enjoy the activity and you're able to spend a lot of time doing it, right? Which essentially means you're enjoying it. Um, if you're forcibly trying to just trade, 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 um, just to make money and you're not really enjoying the activity or getting better or learning, um, then you're probably not going to succeed. Right. right um, right. and so luckily for me, there was a whole new world of trading, which I didn't know about, which is essentially called 
algorithmic trading. Um, okay. Algorithmic trading is what I realized I could apply myself towards and get better at. Um, and essentially the idea there is you build algorithms and using these algorithms, you trade the stock markets, right? Okay. Um, and your models get programmed, right? So either you know how to code or you work with someone who's a coder and they take your models and code them for you, which okay. is essentially what I did because I've never learned how to code. Okay. Um, but what I enjoyed doing was just spending all my free time just coming up with these models. And, you know, there's a process called backtesting, which is okay. essentially when, let's say you have a model, right? So let's say your trading idea involves, you mentioned intraday trading. Let's say it's something as simple as finding the largest overnight losers and then buying them in the morning, right? So let's say, you know, you might've noticed Adani's companies, they're very volatile, right? Um, oftentimes what happens is the market sometimes will cause the, the stock price to fall a lot overnight. And then when the market wakes up and sees that, um, people buy, right? Because okay. they're trying to cover the short positions or they realize, you know, the market kind of, for whatever reason, you know, punish that stock too much. Um, so that could be your model, right? Okay. Um, you could take that model and you can code it, right? And that's the whole idea behind algorithmic trading. And because you can code it, you can cover that entire universe of stocks, right? Very, very easily and very quickly. Um, wow. And you can do it within milliseconds, right? Because the, the computer program is trading for you essentially, but you have to come up with a model. And backtesting okay. is when you take that model and you test it historically, right? Because okay. one of the things about the stock markets is that usually history repeats itself, right? Um, and so, you know, when you see something happen, you know, as much as we want to say that, wow, this is so crazy, I can't believe this is happening, chances are it's happened before, you know, mm -hmm. or something similar has happened. So you take that model, test it historically, and then if it's profitable, then you can trade it live. So I would enjoy that process of backtesting. Okay. You know, that was something okay. I really Good. enjoyed doing. Um, and, um, yeah, and that allows you to get into flow state, you know. Got it, um, got it. The whole, so yeah. whole idea of, you know, first probably, you know, creating a hypothesis that, you know, if something like this happens and then, you know, uh, creating an algorithm. Algorithm in the sense, you know, you don't have to know, really know coding if you're writing an algorithm. It's just that, okay, something like, okay, uh, Adani stocks or, you know, if there is a bad news about Adani, then it's going to uh, fall. And by then, and, uh, you know, whenever it goes up by, let's say, a 10% or 20%, sell it off and go, go and find different kinds of stocks in the history. You know, you just go through the whole 10-year history of uh, Adani stocks or probably, you know, any, any uh, market for that matter. That's, and then apply it and see if it's working or not. And, uh, okay, so... Your, your product essentially is an algorithm that that's what gets into the you into the flow state finding new ideas uh, finding new models or hypothesis is that so yeah 
Exactly. When when I was a trader, right? So I don't trade okay. anymore because okay. the the you know the current product that we're building right now, it's not really involving um, active trading. It's more a uh, different type of a product. Um, we're looking to gamify that stock trading I'll experience. Come to, that. I'll come to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But so, but you know, going back to what you're saying, um, exactly. And you used the word correctly there, hypothesis, right? Because you have to have a hypothesis and you need to actually treat it like a science experiment, right? So in a science experiment, they say, you know, you come up with a hypothesis um, and when you, when you come up with that hypothesis, you should not know what the results are, right? It's very important to conduct scientific experiments in an unbiased manner, right? So I can have maybe just a very small sample size, maybe just one or five or whatever. Um, but I should not have any biases because if I have a bias, um, that can lead me to essentially a wrong result, right? Into a rabbit um, hole, essentially. Exactly. You, 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 right? you keep you keep going in the same direction then, yeah? Exactly, exactly, right? It, it also doesn't open up your mind to more possibilities, right? Yes, um, absolutely. So, so when you bring up that Adani um, observation, right? So one example of that could be, you know, Adani has been, you know, Adani Enterprises, Adani Ports, all these Adani companies have been wildly volatile the past one or two weeks, right? Um, ever since that report came out. So I could look at that and say, wow, okay, this is interesting, right? A lot of volatility. How can I build some sort of a model around this, right? Um, so I look at Adani ports or Adani Enterprises stock data, right? Which is available um, on Yahoo Finance, on uh, Google Finance. And I can look for some sort of a pattern, right? Um, maybe like, okay, when the stock moves 10% in one direction, then I take the opposite direction the next day. Right. Okay. And when you form that hypothesis, it should not just be anecdotal, right? It should not just be based off of that. There has to be a reason behind it too, right? Because ultimately stock markets are driven by human beings, right? And human beings, we have something called a brain, obviously. And so the psych the, the, psych the psychology is important to understand. There has to be a psychological reason for that Green trade, fear, right? Is it? Exactly. Right. Greed, fear. It could be. It could be something like, well, if I was a trader and if I if my position went up a lot one day, I would want to take a profit, right? Or vice versa, right? If the market falls and if I have a position there, I want to cover my shorts. So the hypothesis can be when the stock moves, when any stock moves, say X percent, then then X, Y, Z, right? So you have a cause and you have an effect, right? So the cause is when this happens, then I do this. So maybe the next morning I buy the stock. <clears throat> and then you also have to specify things like, when do you sell that? So let's say I buy the stock, then when do I sell, right? And these things, ideally you wanna come up with, um, with no bias, right? So you don't wanna look at a sample size before coming up with all those rules. Um, and there's a lot that goes into back testing because there's loop. all sorts yeah. of, yeah. 
there's all sorts of different biases, right? You have biases lurking in the back of your brain that you don't even know about, right? So for example, something as simple as, like, as I mentioned, when do you exit that trade, right? You might have a bias in your head, um, but if you don't write down that rule, then one thing you might start doing is looking how your strategy performs based on different scenarios uh, for that exit, right? So for example, let's say you, you buy at the market open and then you tell yourself, you know what? I don't know when to sell. So I'm just going to try out a bunch of different numbers, like numbers. let's say 3.15 PM, 3.16 PM, all the way through different ranges. And I'm going to pick the, the exit that's the best. Okay. Right. It sounds fine. Right. It sounds like you're being super objective, but you're actually not because you're actually picking that result, which, um, which leads to the best outcome. Right. right. Um, and so you have to be very careful with bias. Um, but yeah, that's essentially how, you know, backtesting kind of yeah. works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, essentially you have to close the loop. The loop needs to be closed. You start with uh, a hypothesis and then, you know, uh, the hypothesis has to have that, you know, when to buy, when to sell. Otherwise, it's just, it's not an algorithm. You're changing the algorithm every now and then, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So uh, you told told me that you moved to India, you know, how, how was the experience? You know, but just I'll, I'll keep my focus on, you know, because you, you grew up in uh, USA and then uh, coming to India and setting up a business here in India. And then, you know, you, you got into one of the most, I think, regulated market, right? Uh, the stock trading, which is highly regulated. So can you talk to me about, you know, the early uh, start, you know, of up stocks and then the challenges that you have faced, if, if you can give some insights on that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, honestly, moving was not difficult. Um, this was back in 2008. So I was 23, not even 24 years old. I was single, you know, I didn't have any commitments, um, which, you know, is always very helpful. You know, so if there's, <laughs> if there's one thing I would, I would say as an entrepreneur, um, definitely starting out when you don't have other things going on in life is, um, just a huge advantage, right? Cause you're not thinking about anything, but, your business. Um, so, you know, I was single. Um, I had two other co-founders. Um, we had some money in the bank, you know, which is obviously helpful. Um, and we had nothing to lose, right? Because we were moving to India. Um, we were like, you know, the foreign kids, right? <laughs> you know, which is kind of ironic. Um, but that's how, that's how we thought of ourselves. We thought of ourselves as foreign because this is back in 2008 when, you know, obviously there were, there were NRIs, um, but when it comes to setting up a stock brokerage as an NRI, um, no one was doing that, right? Um, no one was really setting up a stock brokerage, much less doing it as an NRI, right? Um, so we almost like played, we almost acted as if like we're playing with house money, right? Um, we had nothing to lose. If things didn't work out, no problem. We can literally book a plane ticket, go back and do something else, you know? Um, and so 
psychologically, I think we were very good. We lived together. You know, we were living literally just renting a house and just living a bachelor life. And it was awesome. You know, um, we would party and we would, okay. um, it was a lot of fun. Right. And you're right. also trying to figure things out. We also had very specific rules, right? So it was me, my brother, my best friend from college. Um, so each of us had certain rules, certain things that they brought to the table. Um, you know, I was like the trader, right? I was essentially the guy who was thinking of models um, because even Upstocks started off as a trading company, right? A proprietary okay. trading company. We were actively trading the stock markets and basically using that money to fuel the brokerage entity, right? Um, so it's almost like we had two different companies within one company. Um, so okay. I was overseeing the entire trading operation for the most part. Um, and then my co-founder would code my model. So he was a technology guy. And then my brother was a business guy, right? Um, so we all had our roles. Um, and there's a lot of figuring out to do, right? I think especially because of the fact that we were in essentially a foreign country. Um, there's a lot of figuring out to do. But I think when you are, as I mentioned, when you're kind of coming in at a left field, um, there's no pressure. There's no pressure. Social media didn't really exist. I mean, there was Facebook, but you only really posted things very sporadically on Facebook back then. And so okay. it was very, um, no one, no one was like looking over my shoulder, seeing how I was doing. Um, and because of that, it kind of led to a very smooth experience. Um, you mentioned Sebi. Yeah. You know, Sebi, I think we always looked at Sebi in a very positive way right? Entire, during our entire uh, course of building up the company and even in later years, um, Sebi was never ever seen as like this like entity which we had to like fear or we had to kind of, uh, you know, think of as a nuisance. Not at all. In fact, it's a complete opposite. Um, and I think that's the proof is in the pudding, right? And India probably has one of the best regulated capital market structures in the world, um, if not number one, right? Oh yeah. So because of that, um, whenever Sebi would issue a guideline or whatnot, um, we always welcomed it, right? Because ultimately, um, you also don't really have a choice, right? So you may as well just kind of welcome it. Um, okay. and Go then ahead. ultimately, you know, it's about the, the, the end users' best interest, right? What's in their best interest. That's really what Sebi's thinking about, you know? Right. Right. So, uh, so when did you, totally moved to that because now I see upstocks. Have you exited upstocks? I have not exited upstocks. I still have all my shareholding in the company. Um, okay. And I have no... Who is running it actively? Um, um, my it? other co-founders. I have I have okay. other co-founders in the company um, who are basically, you know, kind of running the company. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there are three co-founders right now in mm -hmm. upstocks. Um, but, your brother uh, and your best friend are they still yeah. there? They okay. are still there. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's another co-founder as well. Okay. Yeah. So talk to me about you know having uh, your brother as a co-founder. You know how does it, does it help or does it you know because you know uh, I I had to find my co-founder right. You know uh, it it was a bit of a task. You know uh, who, whom to work with. It takes because we now my co-founder we both have been working together for the last uh, nine years now. Yeah, so it has been a, a a long journey, and there have been ups and downs. But then having your brother as a co-founder, how does 
does it help at all? I think it definitely helps if you have that kind of relationship with your with your sister or brother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but it's also again, I think, at what stage of your life you are, you know, starting a business together, right? If you're um, if one of you is married or has kids, um, it introduces a different dynamic, right? Not that it cannot be done. Um, we see this happen all the time, right? Uh, oftentimes, because when you're working with someone and both of you are thinking of the same thing 24 hours a day, and then all of a sudden one of you isn't, right? There's a, there's a new variable that gets introduced inevitably. Um, and so it's very important to be able to navigate around that, right? So in our case, I think, it worked out beautifully because we we also had a very good understanding that each of us was bringing something unique to that table, right? Um, and so when he had that kind of understanding, um, it can work really well. And um, and I would say, you know, if you have that opportunity, definitely take advantage of it, right? Because you can't just buy that, you know. And even finding a co-founder to work a co-founder to work with. Um, it's not going to lead to that same exact kind of organic um, association or relationship, right? Because right, you're still right. trying to takes time. figure each takes, other out. Yeah. It takes time to build up the relationship and then, you know, take advantage of the environment, the best of uh, what you have, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So like even in my next company with, uh, with Rain, you know, my current co-founder and I, we had still known each other for almost um, six years, you know, wow. before deciding to um, become co-founders, and um, and so we had kept in touch, you know, for for like a long time, um, and so it became very second nature, you know. I, I mean, now thinking upon it, um, you know, when we decided to start the company together, um, it wasn't a big deal, right? There, there was nothing like nerve-wracking about it because we had known each other. Um, so definitely working with someone you know, I think is always helpful um, if possible. Um, otherwise, you know, the flip side is also true. Like I think there's a pro and a con to each side of the coin. Yeah, but it, but it definitely helps, you know, uh, knowing you know, that that's why, you know, when, when I think about it, uh, you know, going to uh, a college like an IIT or an NIT, wherein you know you have an alumni network, you have people who have been in entrepreneurship, you have that connection. Going there definitely helps you get. I mean, in the start, it helps you with the getting started, and uh, you know you know people, you know who can be a good coder, you know who can be a good business guy, you know who can be a good customer support guy, you know stuff like that. That. Knowing people, otherwise it's just that you know you uh, hiring an agency, getting somebody, you know, interviewing somebody, and then you know uh, it's just you know it's like a, lot, a lottery, you know, somebody you know can turn out to be really good, and uh, somebody can you know take away all your time. That happens. Uh, so definitely, I mean, for me, it, uh, if I had to go back and restart, I would just go to a very good college, get some you know really good friends, and and then start with them <laughs> rather than you know uh, starting the way that I had. Uh, started yeah yeah the only so, thing i would say to that though right is see when you when you hire someone for like a role in a company you know if i'm hiring someone in the company 
I'm going to go through that whole process, right, of interviewing and vetting them and checking their, you know, recommendations and, and, and things like that, right? Um, but in a co-founder, it's almost like a relationship, right? You're kind of, um, you know, telling this person that, hey, like, I'm looking to build something long-term with you. And um, so there has to be like a like a second-degree level of trust, which you cannot really just, like, uh, transact your way through, right? I mean, you can try, you know, like I've always been curious, like when people go on like angel list and look for co-founders, I'm like, that's really interesting. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> that generation is different. I will tell you, you know, uh, people go on yeah. Tinder, you know, uh, uh, probably, you know, I would, would have never imagined going on a, on Tinder and finding a date. Right. You know, it was always through a common friend or through school or somewhere, you know, not not to a complete stranger we wouldn't be i mean i at least i wouldn't have been able to do that but uh, these guys they are able, they are doing it it's a different mindset altogether i think you know gen z millennials i mean i'm not, i don't know if i'm part of a millennial generation or not but then you know i definitely do not uh, you know identify myself as a millennial or a gen z so uh, these guys they have a very different mindset so probably you know angel list and then you know you might have an app for wherein you can find a co-founder was just swiping right, you know, if both of you like each other. Probably there, there must be uh, some app out there. Some, someone That's must have true too. See, what's interesting about that is, and this is something I keep reminding myself of every day, um, there's a new, like, breed of, 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 you know, whether it's users or entrepreneurs or, um, you know, people the using different population. networks. Yeah, and specifically that Gen Z crowd you mentioned, right? You know, you know, with with trading leagues where the target user group is a college going eighteen twenty one year old um, student, Gen essentially, Z? right? Gen yeah, Z. yeah, Gen Z, right? Um, and so, and we're, and we're surprised all the time, right? Oftentimes, the data will show us something which really surprises us in terms of how they consume apps. Um, and what's really important here is to not judge, right? Like, um, because, yeah. um, like, and I do this, right? Like not, not knowingly, but it always happens unknowingly. Um, but when you, when you kind of, yeah, subconsciously, like when you're at the bias essentially, right? When, when I'm kind of placing a value judgment at some level, you know, I'm essentially saying, Hey, like I'm not in touch, you know? Um, and so, yeah, you're right. Maybe, Maybe the new way of doing business is actually to go and just find a co-founder. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we'll, you you uh, spoke about you know the trading links leaks, but we'll we'll get there. But the whole idea of that gamification, gamifying. You know, you you have been in algorithmic trading, and then you started a brokerage in India, and then you know uh, moved to US. And how did this whole idea of you know uh, Dream Eleven for uh, traders? came into picture, you know, what, what inspired you to, uh, start trading leaks, leaks or rain, rain platforms? Yeah. So, you know, when I started rain, it was essentially in certain ways, I was thinking of it as a continuation of upstocks. Um, so the reason I, the reason I even started rain and this question I get asked pretty often, um, cause people wonder, you know, like, why did you step down? from a company that's doing so well. Um, it was actually due to two basic reasons, right? Number one, 
Um, I wanted to move back to the U.S., right, because my kids were getting a little older um, and my older son was, you know, about to enter preschool and I wanted to be cool. there. And I was spending most of my time in India because, you know, Upstocks is an Indian company, right? Um, so second thing is, so so you know, the, the first reason was I wanted to move to the U.S. Second reason was I wanted to challenge myself because Upstocks had, you know, has three other co-founders, right? So I wanted to essentially say, hey, what can I do, right, um, to really challenge myself as an entrepreneur um, and see what I can do outside of the purview of a stock brokerage, right, or SEBI, as you mentioned earlier. You know, what can I do outside of the lens of SEBI um, and still be aligned with increasing investor participation rates in India and globally, right? So that's really how Rain started. It started off as an idea. Um, I know it sounds really weird, but that's that's literally how I started the company. Um, and it's called Rain because I wanted to make it rain. <laughs> so nothing, nothing too complicated about that. Yeah, exactly. Right now, um, now within that, you know, essentially the company pivoted, right? So we started off as a retail hedge fund that pivoted into a marketplace for algorithmic trading strategies. Um, but none of that was scalable, right? I think that's, you know, another maybe theme to discuss is like, if you're building a business, you have to understand what you're trying to build and how scalable you want that business to be, right? I mean, there's some businesses which have just maybe maybe a handful of clients, right? If you're a B2B business with, you know, um, 30, you know, you're, you're clients giving you exactly, a million dollar a year. Yeah. Exactly, right? You know, that's one type of business. Um, and then the other extreme is like something like trading leagues where, you know, you have potentially millions of users, um, each doing essentially a lot of microtransactions every day, right? Um, and so my co-founder, you know, Harsh, basically he came up with the idea of trading leagues literally one night. He's like, hey, what if we gamified the whole stock trading experience? And we started talking about poker because, you know, we both played a lot of poker in college. I um, poker. <laughs> yeah, you know, so poker is pretty amazing, right? I yeah, think yeah. It, it's such an amazing game. You can play for free. You can play for money. Um, the competitive juices kick in. You can have the different buy-ins. You know, being able to understand what the other person is playing with. Then, you know, the same thing is with your algorithmic trading, right? You know, you, you want to set a hypothesis and see if it is right or not. So that, that uh, I think if you like poker, you, you have that uh, thing because while we play poker, we can play poker for you know, hours and hours, you know, for uh, seven, eight hours straight without, without getting bored. So that's, that's something I think uh, I can take that out of, uh, you know, your previous, you know, whatever we spoke about, you know, algorithmic trading and getting into that flow state. So poker get also gets you into the flow state, right? Exactly. Exactly. Poker does. Um, it's because there's a strategy element there as well. Right. Um, but there's also the thrill associated with winning. Um, there's the fact that it's a social construct, right? By default. Um, so we looked at poker, we looked at, you know, there's an entire industry called daily fantasy sports, right? So fantasy sports, basically, you know, dream 11 is what comes to mind in India, 
but there's many other companies now as well that fall yeah, within that. On football, it's very big fantasy football. Exactly. It's really big. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And, and so in the U.S., I was a big um, player, I guess, of fantasy basketball. Right. Wow. Uh, basketball has always been very close to me, and so um, I would I would literally spend like hours sometimes, wow. you know, just building my fantasy basketball lineups. It's just so much fun. Um, and in that process, you learn a lot about basketball, right? You learn a lot about, you know, which players are actually adding value, um, who are the highest value players in the NBA. Um, and it really introduces like a whole new dimension to that sport, right? Um, yeah. And you can take that across any sport. You mentioned soccer, you can do cricket, you can do hockey, boxing, doesn't matter because data is king, right? Um, and so the idea was, how do we introduce something similar to the stock markets where literally you take the same exact concept of a Dream 11 or, a, uh, you know, in the US, you have companies like DraftKings, FanDuel, these are daily fantasy sports companies, um, and then just replicate it for the stock markets, right? Um, so that's the whole idea behind trading leagues. Um, so we spent the whole year building it and we just launched it, you know, so in this one, you know, how much do you think it, it has to do with the mastery? You know, when you said, uh, that you are, you're getting better at basketball, essentially you're not playing basketball, but you, you are becoming better. You're mastering something, you know, that does it apply there? Yeah, I think, well, yes and no. Right. Because I think. With trading, ultimately, um, you have something called, the, you know, opening up a brokerage account and trading through a brokerage, right? So the analogy with daily fantasy sports might be something, or let's say poker, right? Poker, the trading lease equivalent for poker might be, you know, hanging out with your buddies on a Friday evening, getting some beer, and then you know, sitting around in someone's garage and playing poker throughout the night, right? And the big leagues arena would be something like going to a casino probably, or, you know, maybe going to the World Series of Poker and becoming like a professional poker player, right? But to get to that professional stage, you need to probably go through a lot of games with your friends and, you know, kind of working your way up, right? Um, so that was a whole idea behind trading leagues. Like, how do you introduce people to the stock markets without forcing them or requiring them to um, open up a brokerage account, right? Because while opening up a brokerage account is really cool um, and it can be thrilling and a lot of fun, um, ultimately you have to move a lot of money to your brokerage account, right? You're talking about people moving capital. Um, and for many people, they either don't have that money or, um, when you think about that proposition, it's also a very ludicrous proposition. I mean, very rarely in life am I being asked to move a lot of money to something just to get started, right? Um, it almost never happens, right? Unless maybe I'm buying a house or a car or something and there, you know, it's like an investment, right? Um, but here it's like, if I want to begin trading or investing like through the stock markets, I need to move a lot of money. Um, so that becomes like, this weird catch 22, right? Because people never get started. And so when we talk about financial literacy, when we talk about people understanding what stocks are and things like that, um, they never get started because of these reasons, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
So that's something else we also wanted to solve with trading okay. links. Okay. So our people are essentially, you know, here and they're not actually trading. They're picking up their stocks, building a portfolio, you know, their portfolio and essentially rank against uh, their friends or other players in the platform, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we have like different types of games. One of the games involves building a portfolio. Okay. Another game type is you're basically day trading, you know, off of a chart. Um, and then you've got more simple games as well. We're essentially Mm -hmm. forecasting the price of a stock. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, so the idea is to have different types of games catering to different, um, you know, areas of difficulty, um, and different stages of, a user's life, you know? Um, okay. Great. So yeah. do you mind sharing some numbers in terms of, uh, you know, how many uh, monthly active users you have or probably daily active users that you have of your, uh, of trading leagues, the mobile Yeah. App? Yeah. I'm not going to get into the DAU, MAU numbers, but I'll get, I'll just talk to you about the, at a meta level where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've crossed 300,000 downloads, right? Okay. Um, and uh, and we actually had to slow things down over the past few weeks because um, we needed to kind of stabilize the app, um, and we also need to kind of get a couple things in order. Um, okay. So we hit essentially 100,000 downloads very quickly. We just launched the app six weeks ago, right? So nice. in the first two cool. weeks, we, we crossed 100,000 downloads, um, and then we hit Was 250. It it is organic, um, and we're also working with a couple paid marketing channels as well, right? Okay. Um, and so one thing we also wanted to do was launch the app and then spend some time understanding the data, right? Okay. So, you know, one thing I realized very quickly with a trading leagues, um, which is very different than an upstocks, is um, an app like trading league scales much faster than an app like Upstocks, right? Um, yeah. To put it into context, it took us about six years to get 100,000 downloads on Upstocks. Upstock. It took us like a week to get that here. <laughs> um, it's just the nature of the business, right? Because, yeah. you know, in India, less than 4% of the population has a DMAT account, right? So we're, we're, we're building a trading leaks for that 96%, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, you know, um, you have this app in India or focused on international markets or just Indian market? Right now, it's focused on Indian markets, um, and we have plans to launch it in the U.S. as well. Um, okay. Not anytime soon because okay. that's a whole different process. Um, okay. But the idea is to, you know, keep it in India. Um, obviously, keep improving the app. Listen okay. to our users. Um, and then maybe when the time is right, you know, we can launch it globally as well. Right. So, uh, just out of, you know, this one, mobile app space, you know, I, I had been in that space for almost uh, six years. And uh, even today with Fly, we work with a lot of mobile app companies. The What do you think is the biggest challenge? You know, you, you have worked in Upstocks, you know, trading leaks is fairly new six weeks. But what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge uh, when it comes to, you know, especially the mobile app space? I mean, just one, if you can think of, you know, that probably must have bothered you in your upstocks days. What would be that? What would that be? Yeah, no. So, I mean, in terms of what bothered us back then versus what's probably bothering, you know, from an upstocks perspective, what's bothering the upstocks team now um, and what I guess bothers us um, now is, I mean, 
those are very different equations, right? So maybe 10 years ago or five years ago, um, our biggest thing was just distribution of the app and just getting it out. Um, obviously, mobile, mobile penetration was on the rise at that point in time. Nowadays, everyone has a smartphone, right? So you're talking about a different cohort of users now. Um, so our issues that we faced were definitely different back then. Um, but nowadays, I think it really comes down to maybe a couple things, right? I think from uh, just the ease of anyone being able to quickly build an app, right, is uh, is unprecedented. And that's a one-directional play, right? Um, so put it in context, my older son, you know, who's seven now, he's already taking programming classes and he's, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he built some sort of a mobile app within a few years. I mean, I'm not okay. saying he will, right? But it's so it's so no. easy now for anyone to build anything. Um, so from a competitor landscape, not really underestimating that that person next door, right? Um, you know, uh, anyone can build an app and probably compete against you. Now with an Upstocks, obviously you have to obtain a brokerage license and things like that, which creates some hoops. Um, but even that is not a big deal, right? I think in our case, um, for us to obtain a brokerage license back in 2009 was a big deal. It was like a two-year endeavor. Um, also because we were NRIs, um, we actually had to go through a lot of paperwork. But nowadays, it's probably not that big of a deal, right? The capital requirements to obtain a brokerage license have probably come down a lot. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind, right? Like not taking anything for granted. Um, second is just the breadth and of, of, of users and how your users can be anyone now, right? Like literally anybody. We talked about Gen Z, but it's not just about Gen Z, right? It can be like, you know, your, your driver, right? In India, you have drivers and you have maids, um, but it's not so crazy to think about like maybe you know, a rickshaw driver, right? Um, having a smartphone and maybe taking some trades. In fact, someone posted this on LinkedIn last week where they literally had a conversation with, you know, with their, I think it was their, their, their auto driver. Right. And he was actually, um, investing, which is such a cool story, but, but I also read that I'm like, why is this a LinkedIn post? This is not even that crazy of a post, you know, mm -hmm. that's kind of where we've reached today where anybody can be doing anything. And it's right. not a big deal. Um, in fact, right. it might get frowned upon to put out that post, you know, um, right. because you're maybe in a very weird way talking about elitism and things like that. Right. Um, right. So, you know, that concept of elitism doesn't exist, I think. And so anyway, uh, when yeah, you're building right. an app, you need to keep that in mind. And I think even from a maybe not really related to mobile, but just generally, um, you know, especially with Gen Z, I would say. Um, and even there, I have to be careful to not stereotype, right? I, I should try to avoid labeling because certain biases creep in when you label. But if you are dealing with a younger audience, um, they're going to be more unforgiving, right? They don't need to really listen to anything you say. And so, um, you know, that the idea of like the customer um, being loyal, um, I think in a good way, right? I think in a good way doesn't exist as much these days, right? And I mean that in a very positive way, right? Mm -hmm. um, because the customer is king. And so they have all the options, right? If they're not happy, they uninstall and move on, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, so uninstall is one of the biggest uh, challenge that any mobile app faces, mobile app company faces. Uh, customer retention, you know, bringing them back 
into it. Yeah. So uh, coming to you know this gamification bit, you know, what is there a team for you? You know, who are actively in your company? You know, looking into the whole gamification, not just you know points leaderboard, not the basic things, but deep diving into what gamification is. Is there a team doing it? Uh, is that the whole idea of uh, uh, Rain Platform? Does it work like that? Yeah, definitely, right? So we, um, I mean, we do have a team. When I say team, you know, it's a pretty small team. Um, so okay. we're kind of all doing everything. Um, mm -hmm. But definitely one thing we're trying to get better at is understanding our users. Um, so both, you know, Harsh and I, my co-founder, um, we come from hardcore kind of trading backgrounds, right? Um, and he was also managing a hedge fund, um, which is kind of as, quote, elitist as it gets, right? Not saying Harsh is elitist, of course, but that's really the world that we come from. We're going from that to, um, you know, anyone can come in and play games on trading leagues for as low as five or 10 rupees, right? And so when you're going from managing millions and millions of dollars to this space, it's not just the business model, it's also really understanding your users, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing you know we're realizing very quickly with the gaming space is that, again, you know, not to sound cliche, but the customer is king um, and the customer just doesn't give a crap, right? Like yeah. they, they're looking for a good gaming experience and if they don't like something, you know, it's in their full right to move on to the next gaming app. And there's a lot of gaming apps, right? Um, so even though we want to think of ourselves as being a little special because we're also trying to nudge that user towards thinking about stocks differently, um, ultimately, one thing we're realizing is a gamer is a gamer, right? Um, you talked about being a poker player. You and I play poker because we there's certain thrills that we associate with poker, right? Um, similarly, in India, you have 50 crore plus gamers, right? Um, this is people who have played gaming apps or play games um, in their free time. And so that mindset is very different than someone trading on a brokerage application, right? So understanding those users and understanding that there's so many gaming apps out there, um, you want to win them over um, through other ways, right? Um, there's a really good LinkedIn post I saw recently where this guy essentially is schooling the HR manager of a company, right? So this HR manager goes to this guy and says, hey, we're losing a lot of our employees, right? Because of better pay or better opportunities. Um, you know, what can we do to retain them, right? Maybe you've seen this, it's a viral video on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, and the guy is like, and so, you know, the, the HR, uh, the HR guy's like, you know, what can we do to retain our best hires? Should we pay them more? What do we do, right? And the consultant says, the second you start thinking like that, you're thinking about it the wrong way, right? Because they're not necessarily interested in more pay, right? They're not interested in necessarily even the better job, right? They're actually looking to build skills. And they're also thinking about how are you treating them as human beings, right? Because That's really the way, important. exactly, because the way our parents thought about jobs is very different than the way cool. their parents thought about jobs, uh, which is very different the way the current generation thinks about jobs, right? Our parents and my dad, I can speak from experience. He 
was seeking greener pastures, right? He left India to seek greener pastures. Um, and he was just looking for a job which paid him well, right? Um, and his parents, you know, it was more about necessity. You had to have a job, right? To just survive, right? But nowadays it's more about, um, you know, people, people go where they feel like they're, they're getting better, right? They're, they're building skills. Um, and also how they're being treated, right? right. The right. users are the same way, right? Your users are also trying to think about, yes, of course, they want to have fun, right? Especially with gaming, I'm talking about, for sure, the thrill experience is there. But if you're going to be building an app that also nudges them towards the financial markets, are they actually learning something, right, with the financial markets? Um, and also, like, is their feedback being heard, right? So yeah, paying yeah. a lot of attention to, the Google Play reviews, um, or just getting that feedback from users and not ignoring it is probably more important now than you know ever before. You know. <laughs> so from, uh, I'm not sure if you have read this because you talked about HR and then you know uh, about your application. So have you read this book called Drive, uh, the you know uh, by Daniel H. Pink? Have you read that book? Um, I think I've heard of the author. Maybe he's, okay, he's written. Yeah, yeah he has written yeah. many books. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in that book, he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. You know, these are the three core aspects of, you know, how to get, it, it was written in the context of workplace, you know, how to build a better company. So these are the three important aspects, which, which I think are the most important aspects when it comes to gamification. For me, gamification is more of a way of life, you know, life itself, you know, if you break it down, we are human beings, we are driven, we want to have control over what we, we are working on or anything for that matter. And then, you know, that sense of mastery, you know, if you're playing a game like poker, you want to master it. And then the third one is, you know, for the higher purpose, why are we playing it? Why are we playing that game? Everyone has that. So probably, you know, uh, this, this particular aspect, if you uh, apply in, uh, uh, you know, this could be a simple advice for you. If you uh, probably your team uh, can put that into picture, you know, read those books like, you know, uh, Drive and then, you know, Actionable Gamification. These are the things that can really, uh, you know, widen their scope when it comes to, you know, the kind of ideas that needs to be applied. Because I see that that's what you guys are trying to solve, you know educate the uh, the audience the you know the 96 percent of the people in, and uh, for them to get into uh, trading and uh, do you know about uh, this game called uh, cash flow just out of curiosity i wanted to ask cash flow by robert kiyosaki he has written a book called uh, rich dad poor dad yeah what what he tells is he actually wrote that book as a guide to this game called cash flow it's a board game similar to monopoly but oh, okay uh, yeah it really teaches you a lot about personal finance so probably look into that that could help uh, you know build a better gaming experience because i i have that game and i've paid paid for that game in the mobile uh, i have i've bought it for i think uh, three four dollars also sure that, that game so first game that i've paid for <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. A, so which which by the way is a big deal right you talked about trust yeah. Um, mastery is definitely, you want to nudge users towards a semblance of mastery. Um, but the reality is with stocks, you also don't want to mislead people, right? You're never going to master stocks, right? It's more about, um, being as informed as possible. 
Um, but trust is a big one. Um, and the fact that, you know, you, you talked about this app and you, you, you bought it, that's a big deal, right? Because when you, you know, imagine how many apps you've, you've gone through and then how many of them you've actually become a paid yeah, user of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, uh... I mean, Raghu, I think uh, we, we are running, I mean, I don't want to take much of your time, but then uh, just as a closing, uh, you know, uh, to close this conversation, if you can give, uh, you know, probably one or two lines for the upcoming entrepreneurs and, you know, how to basically essentially stay at it. Because, you know, one, one line that uh, uh, stuck with me and even today uh, one, one of the person, you know, he told me that if you're getting, he was a Marwadi guy, Marwadi, I'm not, you know, their business community in India. So he, t he told me, you know, if you're getting started, remember, you know, you have to give 1000 days to your business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like three more than, if you, if you can't give 1000 days to your business, then it's, it's not going to go anywhere. You have sure. to have that much time in hand. So what would you uh, give? What kind of advice would you give to the upcoming or probably the entrepreneurs who are, have just started up or probably, you know, are looking to uh, get started? Yeah, I think it's pretty simple, man. I think number one, I would say um, you cannot just do it for the money, right? If you do anything for the money, whether it's entrepreneurship or even, even I would say a job, right? Or, or, or anything in life, right? If you're doing it just for the money, then um, I would say you're probably not going to succeed, right? I'm just going to, uh, you know, put it out there. Um, but then secondly, make, make sure there is the, the, the potential to make money, right? So, um, you want to make sure that, um, both fuel, those things right? are aligned. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I mean, that has to, that has to be there as well, right? You want, you're not doing charity work here. Right? You're that basically trying to build, goal, but then it has to, be. Yeah. yeah, you have to, you have to keep those two things probably equally weighed, right? Um, you want to do something you're, 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 you're good at that you enjoy doing, which is important because if you don't really enjoy it, you're not going to spend time on it, especially when things are not going well. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's kind of a recipe for disaster. Um, but you also want a scalable idea, scalable business. Um, you know, obviously building a good team, right. You want to work with the right people, um, kind of touching back upon what we discussed earlier, you know, if it's organic, the better, right? If it's yeah. not, no problem. Um, and I would just say, don't give up, right? Nothing is easy. Um, it's supposed to be really, really hard. I, I keep reminding myself of that all the time, right? Um, whenever we're going through any sort of a difficult situation, it happens in every single business. Um, it's supposed to be difficult. Otherwise everybody would be doing it. Right. And that's the truth, yeah. right? Um, like, we're not that different as human beings, right? As much as I want to think that, you know, maybe I'm special or, you know, we want to feel that we're special. We're not, we're all very, very similar. It's just that some people are willing to take certain risks and others are not right. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you try to simplify it, keep it fun, try to enjoy it. it. Yeah. Um, then you're probably going to do decent, you, you know, you won't play a game unless you enjoy it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, thank you so much, Raghu, uh, for uh, almost an hour. We, we, we spoke about your journey.